God, we give you thanks that you know us better than we know ourselves, and even the requests that we ask, you know what we're going to ask before we do, and then that you would know everything about us, the good and the bad, and love us still. Help us to accept that love and to offer it to one another. We trust that your spirit's able to meet us in this space just as it's able to meet us anywhere. And that through that, we might be transformed. We give you thanks. All God's people said, amen. Throughout my life, I always knew that I was different. And, uh, you know, thankfully I was raised in a family that uh, was filled with people who were different and a very unique family, uh, seven, one of seven, and uh, always celebrated sort of the strange and the weird and the creative things in the world. And I, 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 guess, it, I, I guess I should reword this. I didn't always know I was different. I thought I was normal because I was in a family where that's just normal. But then as I went out into the world, I was like, boy, there are a lot of strange people out here that you all would say are normal people because normal's the bias of the majority. But... Uh, uh, I was a family that celebrated things that were unique, and, and, and different is good. Amen? D- different can be hard as well. So I, I, I've always struggled with um, long-lasting relationships. Um, I, I can make friends with the best of us, like the best of us, but uh, I, can, I can be friendly and charismatic. I can even pretend to listen for short periods of time. I'm pretty good at that. And, uh, but long-term relationships, not so much. I, I tend to say or do things that ruin relationships, especially when I was younger. And, and I don't mean to. I promise. I really don't. I actually very sincerely, honestly care about people. I, you don't have to believe me, but it's true. I really do care. Uh, but sometimes I don't understand why what I say or do is hurtful until it's already caused hurt. Um, so my closest friends over the years, well, they moved on from my life because I did or said something that I didn't understand was hurtful. And I'll, I could tell you some stories that I've, they sound so stupid in retrospect, but at the time I was like, oh, I didn't know that was rude. Um, uh, but, you know, the fact that I fixate on certain topics and only talk about that and repeat myself over and over again doesn't help. And the fact that I have panic attacks sometimes in social environments doesn't help. And the fact that, the, you know, my whole day could be thrown off because I w- didn't sit in the chair that I sit in every morning. And the fact that, that when I'm thinking about something, I look angry. And when I'm confused about something, I look annoyed. And the fact that I, when I'm tired or hungry or I've been around people for too long, I can struggle to function normally. All of these by themselves are pretty small, but they could be very real challenges. And while I can manage most of those in everyday life, I have to let my guard down eventually. And so the closest to people closest to me, you know, ended up with the worst of me, especially my wife, Alyssa. And uh, needless to say, and I've shared this in various iterations, that my wife and I have struggled in our marriage because of this and for other reasons. You know, we've been married for over 10 years now, and there's always been some deep struggles. A few years ago, uh, we were really hurting, and we weren't sure we were going to survive. We thought divorce was inevitable. And, but God, like God often does, did something kind of unexpected. And right, right at that sort of breaking point showed up. And Alyssa and I were sitting upstairs in our living room watching a stand-up comedian. And I, I love our God because God can use stand-up comedians to change my life forever. Um, it was Hannah Gatsby. She's a, she has a couple of phenomenal performances that I recommend, not necessarily family-friendly, so take that disclaimer. But we were watching her special on Netflix. We had watched her previous one, so we watched this one. And 
she made uh, in the in the first one. She talks about her uh, her, her journey as a as a gay woman, and uh, and then this one she was talking about jokes and observations about her journey, realizing that she was on the autism spectrum. And she was creative, and she was a great communicator, and she was funny, but she struggled in life outside of her ability to present in a lot of ways that were the same as me. And, you know, stereotypical autism isn't any of these things. You know, great, you know, they're known for not, sometimes not able to speak and things like that, communication struggles. But, but as is often the case, stereotypes are a terrible way to define anything, okay? So autism is, like any disability, is far more diverse than the Hollywood stereotypes, I promise you. So later that night, I started looking into autism uh, in adults, uh, what's sometimes referred to as high-functioning autism and, and uh, now is referred to as level one autism um, because that's less derogatory. And I was really blown away by what I was reading. I, I remember I was, I was laying in bed and I was, on my, you know, I was on my phone and I found this list of typical symptoms for adults with, this, uh, with, with autism. And I was like, man, more than half of these apply to me. So I rolled over and I woke Alyssa up and showed her the list on the phone. And I was like, man, more than half of these describe me. And she was like, Joe, all of those describe you. <laughs> um, so this began this journey that has resulted in an official diagnosis with autism and ADHD. Um, it helped me connect with specific coaching that's helped me as an individual and create a deep self-awareness and helped me to love myself for who I am. And I've come to realize a lot about myself, but the two things that I want to share with you today before we get to our sermon, there's a sermon here, I promise. Two things that are the point of today's message. On the one hand, being autistic is great. I love it. I love the way it makes me unique, how I'm able to think outside the box and see things that others can't see. Um, push back against norms. In many ways, autism I consider is one of my superpowers. And I, and I believe, and you don't have to agree with me, although you're in the wrong place if you disagree with me, I believe it's a gift to the church. I do. I honestly believe it's a gift and should be treated as such. That's, that's one side of the coin. On the other hand, autism is a disability that has real challenges in this world. It takes a lot of work on my end to make it work in society, and it only really works when I put in my effort, but then also when appropriate accommodations are made by those that I do life with, my wife, uh, church leaders, and our church community, and friends here at church. I believe it's a gift to the community, but it also requires accommodations from the community, and these two realizations might seem contradictory, but they aren't. My disability is a gift to the church. My disability needs accommodations. They're both true. In fact, I have found that if you want to truly understand God's view of disabilities in this world, across the board, not even for people with disabilities, but just what it means to be human, you have to understand that these two realities can exist at the same time. For every person who's ever lived, you are a gift, and you probably need some accommodations. <laughs> or you are a gift, and you are in need of grace. Both and. So that's the case I want to make today, and to do that, I'm going to look at a story of Jesus interacting with a person with disabilities, a different disability than me, and one that in many ways creates more challenges than mine. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's in John chapter 9. We're going to skip around this whole chapter, and as we do, I'm going to put a few of the verses up on the screen, but it's a story of Jesus healing someone who is blind. But you're going to see that it's also this gold mine for understanding God's view of disability. So here's how it started. John chapter 9, verse 1. 
as he went along, he being Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Okay, let's pause there. Don't go to the next verse. If you're, don't, don't read ahead. Don't read ahead. Jesus is walking along. He's engaged in ministry. He's healing the sick. He's loving the forsaken. He's preaching the good word. And he's walking along and he sees a man who's blind from birth. Now, before you read what's next, I want you to think about what should happen next. Not what actually happened, but what should happen. Imagine that you're out and about and you're Make, you know, you're serving, you're in the neighborhood, maybe you're filling a blessing box somewhere, or you're doing a neighborhood cleanup, you know, you're out doing the good work, and you, your path happens to cross somebody with a disability. Maybe they're blind, maybe they're in a wheelchair, or maybe it's a disability harder to see or easier to mask, like, you know, some expressions of autism. But, but let's say you run into somebody, and as you go along, like Jesus does in this story, what is the appropriate response when meeting somebody with a disability? I'm not looking for some big theological answer here. I'm just saying, you know, a decent person would see a person with a disability, and I would hope that they would interact with them like anyone else. A kind and appropriate response, this is really theological, by the way, a kind and appropriate response might be, hello. (laughs) How are you? How's your day going? I'm Joe. Have we met before? What's your name? Are you from the area? If you've heard me ask these questions, I am autistic. I've found certain questions are helpful for small talk. Now you know my secret. I did some already this morning. You know, meeting them, learning their name, talking to them, treating them as a person of worth, just like you would anyone else, right? That seems like super basic and reasonable. So considering what should happen, let's see what actually happens as they encounter somebody who is blind. Verse 2, his disciples, these are not Pharisees. You can go to the next verse. His disciples, one back. There we go. His disciples, these are not Pharisees. These are not religious rulers. They're not the villains of, this, of the Gospels. These are the good people. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What the? <laughs> disciples of Jesus getting it wrong since the beginning. There's nothing appropriate about this. Now, to give the disciples a break, okay, um, you have to understand that in the Hebrew faith at the time, it was believed by some, if not many, that disabilities were directly tied to what people deserved. And many people of faith, including other religions and some expressions of Christianity, let me be clear, not our expression of Christianity, but other expressions of Christianity still believe this. And some Christians, even though they belong to a church that doesn't believe this, still believe it subconsciously, that if something bad has happened to somebody, they must have gotten what they deserved. You reap what you sow, as they say. So let me be clear. Jesus does not believe this, and neither do we, but here's how it would work. I'm autistic, which means I must have done something horrible in my life to become this. Or my parents did something horrible for me to deserve it. And I'm telling you, if I allow myself to go down that thought process, my whole life is different. So if this person is blind, then somebody must have messed up because disabilities only come to those who deserve it. It's not true. This is what people believed. And this is what people still believe. Let me just be very clear. Disabilities are not curses. If you have a disability, you are worth as much to the community of God as anyone else. I believe that. 
for myself and for you. The real problem with disabilities isn't even the disability itself, but how it leads us to treat other people. Disabilities without accommodations prevent people from having authentic community. And that's the main point of the story. They're so caught up in the question about why this person is blind. Why, what did they fail, you know, what did they fail to do? Because they were like, they were asking this question. They didn't, they didn't say hello to this person. They didn't introduce themselves. They didn't show this person any sort of hospitality. They treated this person with a disability as a case study. And I promise you, this still happens today. They're more comfortable talking about the person than to the person. Did you notice that? Now, before you judge the disciples, let me tell you something. In 2018, there was a poll that found that 67%, that's more than half of the population in the United States, 67% of people in the United States feel uncomfortable talking to a disabled person. Like, oh, those disciples really messed it up. Yes, yeah, so do 67% of the United States population find it uncomfortable. Disabled people make up more than 25% of our population, but the majority of our neighbors are uncomfortable simply because they exist, because we exist. So Jesus is having none of this, right? Jesus is not uncomfortable with disabilities. Jesus is not uncomfortable with my autism. Jesus looks at me and says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and Jesus says the same thing to you. So here is how Jesus responds. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Let's just get that off the table. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little theological here. If I lose you, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Just pick back up when I get to the other side of this. I've read this passage before, and I've always assumed that Jesus meant that this person was blind so that Jesus could heal him. Okay? Which, which Jesus is about to do. Jesus is about to heal the blind person. That, that here Jesus means that he was made blind by God so that God could show God's ability to heal him. It would be like taking a Lego set that's like really intricate and throwing it against the ground so you could prove to everyone you could put it back together, right? Now, if the Lego set had a personality, that's not really fair <laughs> to the Lego set at all. Now, I didn't put a lot of thought into this. That's just my assumption. I, I, I learned it at some point. Someone taught it that way, and I just kind of like, that's how I thought of it. Like, oh, it wasn't that somebody sinned. It's that God wanted to show off his power. But I was reading recently, and this is a book I highly recommend. It's a book called My Body is Not a Prayer Request by Amy Kinney. And it's a book that I'm pulling from extensively for this sermon. And after reading it, I realized that, this, that, that, that previous understanding of the passage is not what Jesus is saying. That this understanding of the passage is taking my biases and placing them onto the text. I'm assuming that the only way God's glory could be revealed through a person who is blind is in God healing them. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus says, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He says works of God, plural, not just one work, not just the miracle, but multiple works of God playing around and through this person's life. God's works has been working in this person before God. This person displayed the image of God before he was healed. This person, blind or not, has been a vessel for God, a reflection of God, a reflection of God's image to show us the way, to help us see the light in a dark world. That's the language Jesus is saying. See, Jesus isn't concerned with this person's blindness as much as he's concerned with something else. And I, but I couldn't see it. <laughs> 
I couldn't see the story for what it is. You could say that my biases against disabilities blinded me to what Jesus was really saying. Think about it like this. Up to this point, five verses into the story, and no one has talked to the blind person. Only about him. As if they couldn't even see him. Up to this point, they've only talked about him as like he's a case study. So we don't even know the guy's name. In the whole story, we don't get the guy's name. The whole chapter is about this guy, and we're not even told his name. So I have to ask the question, who in this story is really blind? Who in this story fails to see the world the way that God created it? Not the blind guy. Everyone else. Jesus is the first to address this person. Of course, Jesus is. Jesus looks at the person and tells him what he has to do to get his sight back. He, he gives the man his sight back. It's a miracle. It's a miracle story. You can see it. And for those of us with a bias against disabilities, we assume that's the point of the story. Yet again, <laughs> that's not what Scripture says. Verses 6 and 7, we have the miracle explained. 45 words in three sentences are used to describe the miracle. A short paragraph what would have been a tweet when, when that was still a thing? Is this still a thing? Sorry, that's a can of worms. Okay. A short X, whatever it is now. But the, but the rest of the chapter, verse 8 through 41, a whopping 700 words and numerous paragraphs are used to describe what happens as a result of the miracle, to describe the real problem that needed healing, which wasn't the man's blindness. Here's the problem that services. The people want to know what happened. This man has been cured. He can see now. So first they question whether the blind man was healed. Maybe the guy who sees is just, you know, looks like the blind man, which is kind of telling because they can't even say for sure whether this is the blind man or not. Like, like you walked by this guy every day and you can't, like, what, was that him? I can't, I mean, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I can't really quite, I can't remember what he looked like. He was really blind in the story. But then the religious rulers also question what happened because as it turns out, Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is not for working, and healing someone is definitely considered work um, because religious people are the worst. And so this debate continues. Was this the man? Was he healed? If he was healed, who healed him? And clearly not a good person healed him because no one would heal somebody on the Sabbath. They even questioned the guy's parents. Verses 18 and 19 says this. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. I'm going to pause there for a second. If you read the book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request, one of the great struggles of people who experience disabilities, especially less profound disabilities, is everyone questioning them. Do you really have a disability? Is that really a problem? You know, get over it. Right, so you see the same thing in the story. There are all these questions wrapped around it. They still do not believe that he was blind and he had received his sight. Maybe he just didn't open his eyes well enough, you know. So they get the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one who you say was blind, born blind? How is it that he can now see? The man had already been told that he, had, he already told them, I, I've been healed. But like most adults with disabilities, that, they didn't trust his opinion. Let me go talk to your parents. They had to ask the parents 
the grown man's parents. Were you really blind? So they bring the man back in and they try to get him now to agree that the person who healed him must be evil because he healed on, on the Sabbath. You know, they're just going back and forth trying to find a problem. Isn't that how humans can be? Something amazing can happen. And religious people, people in general, will search and search for a reason to make it sound bad to complain. This happens in the church all the time. We are a church. I am a pastor. You are church people because you are here. So we got to deal with this. Some older churches will say we need more kids in the church. Then when kids end up coming, they'll say, why are the kids so loud? Some churches will say we need more people in the church. But then when the wrong people come, well, who invited them? Or when people come and they become members and they start leading and they start getting engaged in some of the decision-making processes and it turns out they make decisions a little differently than the church used to make, well, what are they doing? I've heard stories where people find healing and peace and want to follow God again and they're, and they're inviting their friends and a lot of life transformation is happening in the church. And, uh, but the, there are some people who can't see any of that goodness because they happen to attend a service where there's drums. Ooh. There shouldn't be drums in the church. I, I did a, a memorial service for a longtime member of, of, uh, of our church, previously St. Luke's, and um, this, uh, this older pastor, uh, Bob Alexander, he was a pastor here many years ago. He, he led the building of this edition. Um, I forget when, but in the past. And uh, he came and helped facilitate the service because he had a really, his family had a good relationship with, uh, with uh, Peeney, who passed away. And, you know, he came and he's, he was, you know, he's like 80 something. So, you know, he's walking slow. He's an older guy. He sees the drum set. Turns out he's a drummer. And he was like rocking out before the more. I was like, you got to get us in trouble, man. Like, this is not the time for drums. Some people just want to find a reason to be upset. And when we see only the bad in the world, we're as good as blind. And that's the point of the scripture passage. The religious rulers couldn't see the person for who he was. And in the end, they got mad at him. They could only see the negative. They, they don't like what he has to say. They have this great little interaction. We don't have time for it. You should read it. He gets a little snarky with the religious rulers. He, they're asking all these questions about this person who healed him. And he's like, why are you so interested? Do you want to be a follower of Jesus too? And they're like, ah, no, we hate Jesus. And so verse 34, they say, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out. Have you ever been rejected by church people? I have, and it hurts. This person is healed, but the religious people can't see the goodness in him, so they curse him. They say really nasty things to him. I mean, this is not nice. It's theological. It's what some people believe about how the world works. Some people would say it's even true, but it's, 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 if your theology hurts people, it's bad theology. And they cast him out. They kick him out. Now, I want you to catch this. Jesus healed this man. But in the end, he was still cast out, kicked out, treated as trash. And that's why what happens next is the real miracle in this story. And it's a miracle that we can still offer today. You might never give actual sight to somebody who's blind, but you can do this. And this is the point of the story. 
So we're in luck. This is, Jesus is setting us up for success. John chapter 9, verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, Jesus heard they had cast him out, and so Jesus went and found him. If you want to love like Jesus, we need to find the people that other people have cast out. We need to stop coming up with excuses for why some people can't be part of our community because if you won't accept someone because they are blind, don't think for a second that you will accept them when they are healed. You won't because the problem is with you, not them. God's community loves everyone for who they are today. So he was cast out and Jesus went and found him. And that's what this is all about. So Jesus asked him, you know, if he believes in the son of man, which is a religious code at the time for who Jesus was. And here's how the man responds, verse 35 and 36. Jesus said, do you believe in the son of man? And he says, who, who is he, sir? The man asked to tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you, you are now seeing him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This man became a follower of Jesus, which means he became a member of a community that would welcome him just as he was disabilities and all. This person was now part of a new community, a new vision for the world where he would be loved and accepted. This person was now a part of a community that would take him for who he was, to see, see the beauty of God in him. And he was now a part of a community that would take the time to learn his name. Imagine that. And just in case you think that I'm twisting this passage all around, and that's not what it's really about, and somehow I misunderstood what this passage is about, look how it ends. you got to get past the miracle to see how it ends. Verse 39 says, Jesus said, he's talking to like the crowd now, he says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And You know, that's kind of poetic and confusing, but the Pharisees know exactly what he's saying. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Yeah, you get it. You're the ones who are blind. The mean are unable to see the goodness in others. The judgmental are unable to see the brokenness in themselves. The the rude are unable to see the image of God in others. The prejudiced are unable to see that we're all children of God. And those who treat others with disabilities as less than human, as case, but just as cases to prod and study, as people who have nothing to offer, they are truly blind, for they have missed the glory of God right in their midst. I had a chance to share this message with our associate pastor, Amanda who's not only um, uh, he, he leads a ministry here with adults with disabilities, and she, she spent her minute, she's got a certification in this, and it's very important to her. She, she read my sermon uh, up to that point, and she said, you know, she let me know that I had missed a few things, and um, she said, I missed the most important reason why our church should love people with disabilities like Jesus does. And, and, and so it was, she, she basically admitted to getting on her soapbox, and I was like, that's good. That's what we hired you for. And so uh, can I read your soapbox? Uh, and she said, yes. Yeah. So here is what she said. She said, the biggest reason that we should be Jesus in the world for the disabled is this. Disabled people are struggling. And their, agent, and their aging parents are struggling. There's a great disparity in the care of those with profound disabilities. So this is, she uses the word profound disabilities. They're disabilities that are, that are really, that, that have a lot of limitations, okay? 
So profound disability. So as long as you can bag groceries at Kroger or keep some type of employment, people seem to you know, accept the disabled more. But for the ones that their disability is profound, they, they can't bag groceries at Kroger, et cetera, or their intellectual disability is profound, then acceptance is hard to find. Respite, or um, this is a, a term in, the, in that world where it refers to time where a parent can have time alone and not be caring for their child full time, just a break so someone else is watching their adult child with a disability. Respite, that's what respite is, for families, care for these individuals is almost non-existent. Non-existent. The fact that most people with profound disabilities are not included in a faith community or even really accepted into society means they have no support ever and they're stuck at home. Nowhere they can go to feel safe or welcome. Their families, uh, every fear is that when they die that their loved ones will end up deserted, abused, locked away in an institution, or worse. As the church, she says, we have the ability to accept them and their families, to give them a place to belong, to give their caregivers a shoulder to cry on, and maybe even a cup of coffee sometime. If a family member knew that a church was going to be there just to notice if their individual wasn't being abused, you know, be aware of the signs, just know that every week they'd be seeing somebody who they trusted, it would mean the world, she says. Many parents with young children that have autism are desperate for a place to worship. They're desperate for a place to feel at home. They are desperate for a family. So I, start, I end where I started by saying these two things, and they're both equally true. People with disabilities need accommodations. Most need more than what I need, some a lot more. Um, some need accommodations that I wouldn't have even thought about. Sometime in the next year, we'll be installing a, a, a changing table for adults. That wouldn't have been on, that was not on my radar when I went to seminary. But there's a list of places with adult changing tables. And people who need that are only going to go to places where that exists. So we're figuring out how to make that happen. People with disabilities need accommodations of all unique ways. People with disabilities need support. But no matter how profound their disability is, they are a gift to the church and to the world. And it's our job to remind them of that. They, they are able to display the glory of God and God's great mystery of how, I don't understand how this works, but they're able to display the glory of God. And if, I'll tell you what, some of the sweetest and the most loving people I've ever met are adults with developmental disabilities. Oh, my days. And they teach us grace and innocence and patience and beauty and curiosity. They are a gift. And they also, so on the one hand, people with disabilities need the church. Okay? We need to show up. We need to step up. But also the church needs the voice and the presence and the fellowship of people with disabilities. They are a gift to the church. And we are a gift to them if we do it right. So I'm thankful that we're not only a church that is willing to make accommodations for adults with disabilities, but for pastors with disabilities too. <laughs> I'm thankful I found people here, uh, people who are also neurodiverse. I don't know if you know this, but majority of the staff are. I won't tell you. Oh, church. 
we have a lot of fairly neurodiverse individuals who are willing to give me grace because they've learned to offer grace to themselves. And I'm thankful to be a part of that community. So here's the thing. If you're thankful too, or if you've been moved by this message, man, boy, do I have a great action step for you. It's so simple. You can put it up. Boom. Come and volunteer. We're holding fun events. This, is, this has been identified as a need for adults with developmental disabilities. It's like we just need a place to, where they can have fun and where accommodations are going to be made where they're allowed to act out if they have to or whatever. So come and volunteer. No experience is required. An orientation will be provided for those who want to feel a little bit better uh, before the event. We have around 20 individuals with disabilities already signed up to come. We've got a, about 10 random signups through various marketing that we've done, and then Goodwill is bringing 11. And uh, so we've got a great group already, and we're looking for about that many, at least, you know, kind of one-to-one volunteers. Now, all of the adults with developmental disabilities, their, their caretakers or their uh, caseworkers, et cetera, will be there. So it's not like hands-on care. It's just being in the room and helping and being in, in and drag. So no experience is required. Um, and uh, you can get a chance to not only be a blessing, but I promise you, you will be blessed because it is not either or. It is always both and. Let us pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks. We are reminded that you took on flesh, that your hands and feet were wounded, that your body was broken. You know what it is to be fragile and to be in need and to be cared for, to hurt and to hunger and to thirst. And so you know exactly what it is to be human. We give you thanks that you're able to use all of us in unique ways, <laughs> that, that you're able to equip the called and, and, and that, that, that struggles and weaknesses or thorns in the flesh, as Paul talks about it, do not keep us from being used by you, for in our weakness, you are made strong. So help us to offer each other the same kind of grace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.